Now, if you'll turn in uh, your Bibles again, uh, I don't know if this parable struck you the way it struck me, and uh, I've been preaching on these parables for several months now, and uh, they're, they're, they've been quite striking to me, quite a number of them, as is the Word of God, because the uh, ability to understand the Word of God requires the supernatural ministry of the Holy Spirit. Remember, Jesus said in the Upper Room Discourse, uh, when the Holy Spirit is come, and the Holy Spirit lives inside of us as believers, uh, it's a wonderful new covenant uh, relationship that the Lord Jesus established, that uh, He would not only be with us, but He would be in us. What a privilege that you have the life of the Son of God. I have the life of the Son of God. We have the Spirit, the Holy Spirit's uh, uh, ability of the life of the Son of God to open the Word of God to us. So it's not just about your mind. Uh, I'm not saying that God bypasses the mind, but there's great hope for every person to understand the Word of God regardless of how you score on the IQ test. Uh, the ability to understand the Word of God has to do with a person's heart. And I want to address this. Uh, when I read this parable and uh, some of these other parables, I said, Lord, help us. Especially when I read the commentaries and I see how they, they don't all have the same take on it. I said, Lord, help us. If your spirit is not our teacher, we're not going to be able to see what we need to see, understand what we need to understand. We're not going to be able to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the life of Jesus Christ. And so uh, God's, the truth of God's word, uh, go back to Matthew 13 with me. I'm not saying turn there, I'm just saying in your mind. Go back to Matthew 13. That's where we started when we started preaching on these parables. And in Matthew 13, the disciples asked the Lord, why are you speaking in parables? He said, the reason why I'm speaking in parables is so that you as believers will be able to understand it. And the reason why I'm speaking in parables is those that are unbelievers, they will not understand it. The truth will be protected and the truth will be revealed based on the condition of a person's heart. Uh, the ability to understand the word of God goes back to the condition of your heart, your heart's condition. Now, let me reinforce that some. Uh, by the way, uh, Proverbs says, as a man thinketh, it doesn't say as a man thinketh in his head. Anybody remember that proverb? As a man thinketh in his heart. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So uh, uh, letting God examine our heart, being honest with God about what's in our heart, uh, uh, letting God do heart surgery with us, and constantly uh, coming before him, and saying, search me, O God. Search me in the deepest part of my being, in the innermost recess of my being, in my heart, and let me know what's in there. Because as, if we try to just figure it out on our human ability, remember the Bible says our heart is deceitful, and what else? Desperately wicked. So we won't get there just by human effort. It's got to be a supernatural, surgical, Holy Spirit operation. Now, the first parable that Jesus gave in Matthew 13, which brought the question, why do you speak in parables, 
was all about those different grounds, those four different grounds. Remember that? I preached, I don't know how many sermons, on the four different grounds. Now, every one of those grounds that we took so much time with, if you remember, every one of those grounds that had different aspects to them or different characteristics to them, it all had to do with the condition of different people's heart. Remember that? The ground parable uh, was explaining the different heart conditions that people have. And that affects whether they can receive the truth or not receive the truth. And uh, by the way, in Romans, there's a verse in Romans that says that we obey from the heart the doctrine delivered to us. Sorting out biblical doctrine can only be sorted out from the heart. We obey from the, I'm talking about the thinking of the heart connected with the mind and the Holy Spirit giving understanding because our heart is in a condition to receive the understanding. Uh, if our heart's not in a condition to receive the understanding, it doesn't matter how smart we are with our mind because the, the power of understanding the truth of the Word of God has to do with living the truth. Living the truth. When it says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he, talks about his life, his lifestyle, his behavior. If we're not willing to obey the truth, remember, Romans says, we obey the truth from the heart. If we're not willing to obey the truth that we're looking at in the Bible, is it going to hinder our understanding of the truth that's there? This is the whole point. And so the place to start with is we need a heart examination constantly, not, not just occasionally, constantly. We need to have a broken heart before God because of what we see in our uh, deceitful heart. And we desperately need him to uh, heal us and deliver us uh, from uh, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. It's in there. And we need to be delivered from it constantly. So now with that said, that's the first point I'd like to make here. In, uh, when we're searching for hidden treasure, which God uh, has hidden, remember Jesus prayed, uh, I believe it's in uh, Matthew 11. Jesus prayed to the Father. He says, Father, I thank you that you have hidden these things. And when he said these things, he's talking about the understanding of his word. I thank you, Father, that you have hidden these things from what kind of people? Heart-related heart type of issues. I thank you that you have hidden these things from the wise and the prudent. That is, prideful people. You have hidden these things from prideful people, but you had re revealed the truth of your word to what kind of people? People who in their heart have a childlike attitude. Childlike attitude disposition. God says he reveals truth to those who are like babes in their heart and their mind. And re recognize unless God shows it to me, unless God teaches it to me, I'm not going to get it. God's got to supernaturally enable me to get it. And not only to get it in my mind, but to get it in my life. I've got to be able to be willing to get it in my life. And so in Proverbs, it talks about Proverbs 2. He says, my son, if you will receive my words, and hide my commandments with you, 
so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Proverbs 2. Incline your ear unto wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. If you cry after knowledge and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek the understanding of God's word as silver, buried treasure, silver, hidden treasure, it's in there, but it's hidden. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hid treasures, God's hidden the truth that's in his word, but he reveals it to those who have a humble attitude, a meek attitude, a broken attitude, uh, when the heart's in the right condition to receive what God wants to show us, not only to understand it in our mind, but to live it out. Now, Jesus said, I am the way. What else am I? I am the truth, and I am the life. So, Understanding who Christ is is a way of life. When you understand the truth about Jesus Christ, it's a way of life. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. If you leave out any one of those three, you don't understand the truth properly. Truth is to be fleshed out in our life. And if our heart's in a condition to flesh it out, then God will give us the understanding we need. Now, with that said, I want to say something about the Old Testament background to understanding this parable. The Old Testament background, and if you're trying to understand a portion of Scripture, it's good to be saturated with the Old Testament. It's good to be saturated with the Old Testament so that you can draw upon what's in the Old Testament to understand what God's revealed in the New Testament. And back in Deuteronomy, I believe it's chapter 15, God talks about a Hebrew man who has a Hebrew slave. And he says, after seven years, if a man has a Hebrew slave, after seven years, that man is to be released from being a slave. And uh, he says, that is to happen to all the Hebrew slaves that you might have, unless... The man who is the slave declares, I know my master. I know how righteous he is. I know how just he is. I know how loving he is. I know the shepherding care he provides. I know the security I have under his uh, leadership, under his direction, under his protection, and under his provision. And then voluntarily, that slave decides, I don't want to be free from being under this Master, I love this master. That's what it says back there in Deuteronomy 15. It says, I love this master. And furthermore, I know that everything this, has, uh, this master has in store for me is good. Things go well with me when this master takes care of me. And so it talks about, you know, putting a hole in that servant's ear. And uh, it talks about him being this, uh, uh, a lifetime uh, commitment there of being a servant. Now, that I believe in the New Testament concept is called a bond servant, a voluntarily, a voluntary bond servant. I believe that the key to understanding this parable, one of the keys, not not every key, but one of the keys to understanding this parable, is not looking at the attitude or disposition of the master 
The focus of the parable is looking at the attitude and disposition of the, of the servant. And the servant here is focused on his love for the master. The focus here is his focus on the security he has with the master. I believe uh, this servant is a bond servant. It's a bond servant relationship to his master. And I believe that's the key to understanding what God's revealing here. Now, with that said, do you uh, recall how many times in the New Testament, in the epistles, that the apostles identified themselves when they were writing to writing the letters, I'm talking about all the writers of the New Testament, when they were writing their letters to the recipients of the letters, explaining God's Word, God inspiring them to write down God's Word. Uh, do you recall how many times they referred to themselves? They began the letter by calling themselves. What did they call themselves? How did they identify themselves? They started the letter out. Uh, 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 identifying who's writing. How did they identify themselves when they wrote the letters? Well, let me read a few of them to you. Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Paul says, here's how he starts his letter. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. Now, I think you, you would understand it here. A bond servant. Paul, a bond servant of Jesus Christ. James chapter 1, and... Uh, James had a brotherly relationship to the Lord. He could have said, hey, I'm his brother. I'm his brother. He could have said, uh, listen to me. You know, I'm the brother of Christ. But instead of saying I'm the brother of Christ and making a big deal about that, he didn't even mention it. But what did he mention? He said the same thing about himself that Paul said when he wrote the Roman epistle. He says, James, a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, it makes a difference in life if in your heart you have the disposition and the attitude all through life's journey that you are a bond servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. It makes a difference in how you view things. It makes a difference in how you interpret things. It makes a difference in how you facilitate in your heart and mind why is God letting this happen for instance here was Paul Paul had been put in prison and Paul evaluated everything that went on in his life in terms of Jesus Christ amen you always evaluate everything that's going on in your life in terms of Jesus Christ being the center point of it all all things work together for good when we understand God's purpose for our life. What is God's purpose for our life? To be conformed, to be conformed to the image of Christ, the likeness of Christ. So you're not going to see the good in what's going on if you don't relate it to what God's doing in your life so that you can become more like Christ. Amen. Become more like Christ in your character, in your spirit, in your attitude, in your disposition. In your heart, it's an opportunity. That's why James says, he starts out, I'm a servant. Remember the next thing he says, my brethren, count it all. Count it all. Now, all means all, right? That's in the original language. <laughs> count it all what? Count it all joy in doing what? Seeing yourself as a servant of Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, it makes a difference. 
Here was Paul. He was put in prison. Matter of fact, he was put in prison multiple times. One time he was put in prison. Uh, him and I, if I'm remembering correctly, it was him and Silas. And they beat them before they put them in prison. And what did they do when they were in prison? They had a chorus of praise, of singing and worship, uh, thanking God and the Lord Jesus Christ. They were able to suffer because of his name to be identified with him. That's when the Philippian jailer got saved, when he saw the worship that was in the heart as these two men evaluated everything that was happening to them in terms of Jesus Christ. Now, when Paul referred to being in prison, he did not refer to, I'm a prisoner of the Romans. Everything in Paul's life, he related to being a servant of Jesus Christ. So when he referred to himself as being a prisoner, most of you probably remember, he did not say, I'm a prisoner of some human government. What did he say? I am a prisoner of the Lord. He understood that everything that was going on in his life was under the Lordship of Christ. Everything that was going on in his life was an opportunity to serve his wonderful master. A bondservant. Second Peter. Simon Peter started his letter in chapter 1. He says, Simon Peter, a servant of Jesus Christ. Jude chapter 1. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ. It makes a difference when you evaluate all of life in terms of serving the Lord Jesus Christ and believing that everything he allows to come into your life is an opportunity either to make him known to others or to be conformed to the character of who he is. makes a big difference. Now, with that said, I want to go to some uh, factors here in the remainder of the time we have the different factors that will help us understand the bond-servant relationship. The first factor is the provision factor. The provision factor. There's two times in the New Testament that uh, the Lord Jesus refers to, and this is another way you, you get the understanding of the Bible, compare Scripture with Scripture. Compare Scripture with Scripture. There's two times in the New Testament that the Lord Jesus referred to an unprofitable servant. This is one of them. But there's another one in Matthew 25. When he referred to the unprofitable servant in Matthew 25, he's referring to a believer. When he refers to the unprofitable servant in Luke 17, he's referring to a believer. Uh, Matthew 25 is an unbeliever, and uh, Luke uh, 17 is a believer. Did I say that wrong? So Matthew 25 is an unbeliever. Luke 17 is a believer. But both times are called an unprofitable servant. Now think with me about Matthew 25. Matthew 25 is when the uh, master went on a long journey, and he entrusted to his servants. He entrusted to one servant five talents, to another servant two talents, and to another servant one talent. The five-talent servant and the two-talent servant, servant who had proper stewardship of what had been entrusted to them were able to gain five more and two more. And what did the master say when he came back? He said, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. 
The other servant that had the one talent was, did not have proper stewardship of what was entrusted to him. And because he didn't have proper stewardship of what was entrusted to him, the Lord makes a, he calls him an unprofitable servant, but I, but I want to read the rest of it here because this should be shocking. This should be show, sobering. This should cause all of us to uh, say, I, I need to pay attention to this. I need to pay attention. This is reality revealed by God as to eternal darkness, eternal judgment, and what it's like to be an unprofitable servant that goes into eternal darkness where Jesus said to this unprofitable servant, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, constant torment forever. That should grab every one of us' attention. If anybody's listening to this by sermon audio, it should grab all of our attention. There is a judgment day there is an accountability day to our Creator God. He's a Creator God. We wouldn't even be in this world if it wasn't for God taking dust and forming us and breathing physical life into us to be human beings. And Jesus Christ makes it crystal clear that there is an accountability day for every person in humanity, and there will be a separation on Judgment Day, either into the eternal blessedness of heaven and everlasting life, or the eternal wretchedness of torment in darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth forever. I just hope and pray that whoever's listening to this will face the truth of God the Creator and God the Redeemer and our accountability to Him on Judgment Day. This is not fantasy. This is reality. And it will take place for every person in the world. Apart from Jesus Christ, there is no opportunity to have a relationship with God. In this life, you can't have a relationship with God apart from Jesus Christ. And if you die without Christ you will be eternally separated from God forever. And it's torment. It's torment to be separated from God. Now, with that said, let's go back. We're talking about provision, and, and we're responsible for the provision that God gives. In Romans chapter 1, God gives every person the witness of the conscience. Uh, he tells us in Romans 1, He gives every person the witness of the conscience and the witness of creation. But instead of responding to the truth of the provision of truth that God has given already, <clears throat> it says that people exchange the truth for a lie. And what do we do? We worship the creature rather than worshiping the Creator. I'm telling you, God's really speaking to me about us understanding the Creator God. He's speaking to me big time about it. If I have time, I'm going to make some more points about it here in a minute. The Creator God. It's very important to not believe the lie of evolution in any sense of the word. There is no evolution of truth going on anywhere. Truth is absolute. Truth is based on the character of God. Truth doesn't change. 
Truth doesn't uh, change from one generation to the next generation so that what you used to say marriage was, you don't say it was that anymore. Or what you used to say about gender, you don't say it anymore the way you used to talk about gender. Truth is absolute. Truth is eternal because God is eternal and truth is based on the character of our creator, God, whom we are accountable to. So I just plead and beg for all that would hear this to believe it from your heart and receive salvation through Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of your sins. That's why he went to the cross. That's why he rose from the dead, to rescue you and me from our sin. And we might be able to have a relationship with our Father God, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit and be forever in that relationship in heaven. Now in this parable, a bondservant recognizes the redemption God gives us in Christ, the inheritance God gives us in Christ, the sonship God gives us in Christ, the grace God gives us in Christ, the reconciliation God gives us in Christ, the acceptance we have in Christ, the justification we have in Christ. I just keep going. What a package! What a provision. And a bondservant says, listen, God's provided everything I need. I owe him a debt I could never repay. I love him and the debt of love I have to him can never be repaid. That's why this servant says, after the master requires whatever he requires of him, I'm unprofitable. I'm unprofitable. I could never repay this debt of love I owe my master. Now, I want to talk about the drudgery. When I read this and I thought about being a servant and coming under such uh, commandments and instruction as the Lord reveals to us, I just uh, pictured in my mind the drudgery. Here you're working all day in the field all day taking care of the cattle. You come home, you're ready to kick back and relax and rest, and your master says, no, no, you're not done yet. You gotta prepare a meal, and you gotta wait on me and uh, serve the meal to me. And I wanna tell you something. Wrote my wife's name down 10 times in my notes. And I wanna make a point here about the love. If you focus on the work, life will be a drudgery to you. But if you focus on the relationship with a master who loves you with a perfect love, life will be a delight to you. And while I wrote my wife's name down, we got 19 children, uh, grandchildren. We don't have 19 children, we got 10 children. And I have watched her with 10 children. I have watched her with all these grandchildren. I don't know how many meals. I don't know how much laundry. I don't know how much, how many toys she has picked up from the floor. And believe me, when you got lots of children around, you got lots of toys on the floor. But never one time have I perceived in her that it was ever a drudgery to do it. And the reason why it wasn't a drudgery for her to do it is because she loves her family. She loves her family. And when you love somebody, listen, do you remember, (laughs) was it Jacob that uh, loved uh, Rachel? 
Am I remembering right? Okay. What did he, uh, the, the father of uh, Rachel, what did he promise he would do? He said, you'll work for me. Was it seven years? Work for me seven years and I'll give Rachel to you to be your wife. You know what the Bible says? He said the whole time he worked those seven years, it was just like a few days to him. It was absolutely nothing because he loved her so much. Guess what happened after the first seven years? Same kind of thing that happened to this servant when he comes home from the field. Same kind of thing. Oh, you're not done yet. There's more for you to do. How many more years did he have to labor? Seven more years. I want to tell you, when, you have, when your focus is on the love relationship and your focus is not on the work, then and only then will you be able to delight yourself in who? The Lord. The work is challenging. The work has suffering involved. The work has pain and anguish involved. We all know about we live in a fallen world, a, a corrupt, sinful world. You know, one of these days, God's going to put it back in order. But right now, the Lord said, when he, well, going back to uh, uh, Garden of Eden, he said, cursed is the ground. You need the challenge of this for your good. Cursed is the ground for what? For your sake, for your blessing, for your good. I'm telling you, God does not waste any sorrow in this world. God does not waste any drudgery in this world. Whatever God allows in this world, it's all for our gain, all for his glory, all to prove that he's a perfect loving father and he works all things together for good to those who love him. So that's the provision factor. We are accountable to God for what he's provided in Christ and all humanity is accountable to God for truth revealed and provided. So now I want to talk about the ownership factor and I'm glad I got to this because I want to read two quotes about God our creator and God our redeemer. Ownership. The servant in this parable recognizes that the master is the owner and the uh, master who is the owner has the final say. Our biggest problem in life is that we want our own way. All we like sheep have gone astray. What have we done? We've turned every one of us to our own way. We want to be the owner. It's kind of like we want to present to God, give to God uh, something. It's my life and so I decide what I'll give to God. It's not our life. Whatever we give to God, we're only giving back to God what belongs to Him to start with. Amen? We give to God what belongs to Him. We're tw we twice belong to Him. First, we belong to Him because He's our Creator. And secondly, we belong to Him because He's our Redeemer. Now, I want to read these quotes. This is the first one is by Alexander McLaren. And by the way, I've been preaching since 1976. Alexander McLaren, I use all the time, and uh, most of you are familiar with Matthew Henry, Matthew Henry's commentaries, and the classic uh, benefit his commentary has been. If you want another good set, uh, a, a, a commentary series that covers the Bible, I recommend to you Alexander McLaren. He's got the best material on this section of Scripture that I have ever seen. 
in my entire life. This Luke 17 passage of scripture. And I've been looking at his comments. It's the, it's the cream of the crop of his comments in all my, stu all my pastoral ministry. So I highly recommend Alexander McLaren. God has given all, God has given all. He owns all. He has a right to all. We are his by right of creation and his by redemption. When we are in Christ, Christians are not their own. They are bought with a price. Themselves, their faculties, their capabilities, capabilities belong to God, their creator and their redeemer. When they have rendered all their powers and all the product of these powers absolutely up to God's will, they have done no more than rendered to him his own. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. Malachi 3.8 It is an aggravated sin to rob God of what is his, but it is no merit or ground of praise simply to refrain from robbing him and this is all that the creature's obedience would amount to, although it were complete. Now, that's Alexander McLaren. Now I want to read one more from Spurgeon. Spurgeon's another good one. Have we come to such a low state of spiritual morals that we think we have done a great deal when we give to God his due? It is God that has made us and not we ourselves. Where is that found? Psalms 100. When I was in elementary school, public elementary school, I memorized that in public elementary school. I'm telling you, we're living in a day, when I first started preaching, there was a foundation in this country that had major cracks in it. Major cracks in it. We're living in a day where they're taking all where the cracks were and taking all the pieces away now. The only thing we got left is sand. And what's going to happen if any nation or any country or any community or any person builds on sand? It's going to go down. The Lord Jesus said that's what will happen. You're either going to build on the rock of who I am and the truth of who I am. But if you take me out of it, you take prayer out of school, Take Ten Commandments out of school, so forth and so on, and just take, keep taking away and taking away and taking away everything our country was founded on, and you're left with saying, listen, this is why I'm so burdened for fathers right now. Because the job can still be done. The job can still be done. God's truth endures how long? There is never a generation that any group of people have ever lived in that God's truth does not endure through it. The job can still be done, but we need spiritual discernment and understanding of God's ways, especially in the days, the very challenging days that we're living in. Now let me keep reading. It is he that has made us and not we ourselves. Jesus Christ has bought us. We are not our own. We've been bought with a price. We have entered into covenant with him and given ourselves over to him voluntarily bond servant bond servant were we not baptized into his name and into his death whatever we may do is only what he has a right to claim at our hands from our creation and our redemption why boast then and look for thanks as if we've 
given something to God and now we, he should be thanking us. We just give it back to him what belongs to him. And then we get the benefit of him being the master, him being the Lord. Listen, you never lose ground when you give up being in the driver's seat of your life and let Jesus Christ be in the driver's seat of your life. Amen? Either going to have a car wreck when you're driving or you're going to let him drive and everything's going to get you down life's pathway with the blessedness of how God intended life to be. So Jesus said, I am come. Why did I come? I am come that you might have life. And what kind of life? Abundant life. Now the context of this parable is very important, and I want to just close with this. I've, deter- I've seen very, a lot, uh, it's been ratcheted up in my understanding how important the context is of any section of Scripture to get the understanding of the truth that God placed there. A text without a context is a pretext. Anybody ever hear that? Always look at the context to, to get the wisdom that's there. The Lord had talked about in the context of Luke 17, if a brother offends you seven times in one day, forgive him. And the uh, apostle said, Lord, increase what? Increase our faith. This is impossible. Humanly impossible. How could you ever do that? Seven times, seven times, seven times. The Lord's not putting a number to it. He's saying it doesn't matter how many times it is. Forgive. And so they said, increase our faith. Now, you don't say increase our faith unless there's some faith already operating. Everybody with me? Now, in our, uh, whatever God requires of us as his servants, we're going to find ourselves in impossible situations over our head. It's like you jump in the ocean of deep water. I'm talking about the deep ocean of deep water, and you don't know how to swim. We're going to find ourselves in the circumstances of life as servants of the Lord Jesus Christ, totally inadequate, totally insufficient. But I want to tell you, the faith, just a smidgen of faith in Jesus Christ can move the mountain. Just a smidgen of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ can move the sycamine tree, which is in Luke 17. It's not how much faith we have that resolves the possibilities. It's whether or not we're looking to Jesus Christ with our faith and understanding who he is and how powerful he is. Listen, the Lord Jesus Christ said, I will build. What did he say I will build? He didn't say I will build it until the 2020s and then there's, it's all over and done with. He said, I will build my church. And what did he say? The gates of hell at the highest level will not prevail. I'm going to tell you, God has a plan. He's working his plan. And none can stay his hand. What a wonderful God we have. Let's pray. Father, it all goes back to having a meek, humble, contrite, broken spirit. If there's any smidgen of pride, any smidgen of self-righteousness, if there's any smidgen of it's my life, I can do what I want to do with my life. I'll give him what I want to give him and keep for myself what I want to keep for myself. That's when people say, well, I tried Jesus and it didn't work. Well, he's got to be Lord of everything. We've got to surrender to him. 
and be an unprofitable servant willing to follow every command and then we enter into the joy of fellowship with him the joy of a love relationship with him and what used to be drudgery in a sin cursed sin sick world what used to be drudgery in the daily routines of life all of a sudden because we are servants of Christ even when we're in prison unjustly servants of what he is doing what he commanded what he allowed we can say like the bible says we give thanks to him if he wants us to be in prison we give thanks to him if he wants coronavirus to come we give thanks to him because our master knows what he's doing we praise you and we thank you our father what a wonderful privilege to be bond servants of the lord jesus christ and i pray you speak to our heart i pray this would get down into our hearts so that starting with the preacher we can all give to you what already belongs to you and i pray this in jesus name amen